Hi, Shay. How are you today? Hey, buddy. I love you. I love you. I love you so much. And because I love you so much, I've got a little question for you. Oh, my God. I am so excited to hear and to learn. Well, I mean, you know, I figured you were going to teach us because I know what a smart, brilliant, handsome man you are. Everybody who, who with whom everybody wants to be friends. That's true. Um, true. And uh, I thought you could just tell it would be really fun if you just told everybody listening really quick what uh, Neil Armstrong's first words on the moon were. Um, I'm just going to go with the obvious answer and hopefully I'm not like wrong. <laughs> um one giant leap for man or one one small step for man one giant leap for mankind apparently if you watch the tape i didn't know it so i'm not i'm not gonna slander you like i usually do and <laughs> let everybody know what a giant idiot piece of shit you are it's um, so nice you're not gonna say that today <laughs> it's so nice that i'm not gonna say that uh apparently they were i'm on the front porch which i thought was really fun and colloquial and countrified uh is it true Let's start the show. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's uh, future Ian and Shay here. And in a rare first time occurrence, we're going to have a future Ian and Shay argument. Ian, for some reason, seems to think that the first words on the moon were what he said they were. And obviously they were not. Ian, do you want to defend yourself before I obliterate you in front of the fans? Halfway. Absolutely. OK, so what I'm doing is I'm not totally admitting that I'm wrong, but I am suicide bombing this argument. All right. <laughs> I'm going out kamikaze style. I'm admitting that I'm not right, but I absolutely refuse to let you be right so let's go down swinging shay debacles no rebuttals okay so uh we looked up the, the transcript and his first words standing on the moon standing on the moon standing on the moon were exactly what i said they were foot to moon face yeah were you know one small step for man or some linguistic arguments uh a one small step for a, a man, man. Yeah. Depending on uh, if you want to get into that kerfuffle, which we'll save for another time. But when he was in the car on the moon and going down the ladder, he said to Houston, I'm on the front porch. So it's like, I, you know, right now I'm in my apartment complex. I'm on the third floor. I'm, I'm, I'm on Earth. I wouldn't tell anybody that at the moment I am off of the planet. So. All right. And here, Ian, this is where I obliterate you for the fans. So. Oh, okay. So, Let's hear it. Okay. So maybe he said that before he stood, before his feet were standing on the moon. But what you said he said was not the first thing he said while using your definition on the moon. In fact, when he landed at 4.17 p.m. Eastern time, he said. Houston, tranquility base here, the eagle has landed. And those were his first words being firmly planted. I, am, I admit on the moon. that uh, my thing wasn't the first words, but uh, the, the other thing, you know, one small step for man, those were also not his first words. His first words apparently were the eagle has landed. Okay, his first words being in a vehicle that were on the moon. Being in a vehicle on the moon. He was on the moon. Whether or not he was on the moon in the vehicle or whether he was on the moon on the moon. He, those were not the first words. Uh, I'm not going to get super nitpicky. Okay. But uh, I, okay. <laughs> I rescind the acceptance of one small step for man. Not the first thing. Total absurdity. All right, start the show. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Camp Reeducation, an immersive boot camp into the world we thought we knew. We are your hosts, Ian and Shay, concluding our beautiful two-week immersion into the world of making adult friends. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to episode three. 
where Shay and I will finally reveal to the world whether or not we will continue with our friendship or friendship breakup. Um, this episode, we have some absolutely riveting, dynamite, fascinating things to dive into and think about. We have an interview with the wonderful Dr. Christina Carbone, who works with uh, vets recovering from PTSD and helps them reintroduce into society, including building friendships and relationships. We spoke to um, a, a ruggedly handsome anthropologist by the name of Dr. Andy Hemmings, who runs an institute down in Florida to teach us about what friendship even is on a you know anthropological scale uh, or whatever uh, and then we spoke to uh, a spy whose relation or whose identity we could not reveal uh, all you need to know about her is that she is a hipster living in bushwick and her name is uh shade did i miss anything there so listener, just so you know, uh, all of that audio you just heard was the last audio that Ian and I recorded together before Ian and I had an explosive friend breakup for the rest of the episode and for the rest of this podcast. Unfortunately, I will be your only host. So it is uh, truly a sad end to friendship camp, but uh, <laughs> I think this is just the way it has to be. And um, I'm sorry wow. for... Oh! <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little sad to, uh, to have to, to learn this way. <laughs> this is is what happened, but uh, you how know, much, yeah, I, I how, guess. Much, how much of that did you hear? <laughs> <laughs> I, all, I'm right in front of you. I heard all of it. Literally, oh. I heard every word. Oh, hmm. well, I guess that was <laughs> my my original intention, but uh, it feels feels <laughs> feels worse now for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, Shay. Uh, so you and I have had. Man, we've had a, a, two really crazy, crazy weeks. They've been very exhausting. Um, usually a lot of these things are really uh, physically exhausting to, to an extent, but this has been also very emotionally taxing as well. Oh, yeah. Just kind of constantly putting yourself out there um, for approval or rejection um, to other people. So, I mean, yeah, like, tell us a little bit about your experience for the listeners at home. Well, yeah, this past week's been crazy. It's actually been a little bit longer than a full week since uh, we're actually uh, recording on a Sunday, which is rare for us, and our last camp was on a Saturday. So it truly has been, as Adam Sandler would say, eight crazy nights since then. <laughs> and uh, this, the, the, the amount very, of He's very <laughs> renowned for saying that. He says it quite a bit, as we all know. <laughs> eight crazy nights. I don't know how he sounds at all. I'm just <laughs> guessing that's what he sounds like. Uh, never seen an Adam Sandler movie. Uh, I don't know why I'm talking about Adam Sandler so much. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the last week, though, was really interesting. Ian and I have been, like, touching base with each other. But uh, I had two new friend dates. One with, uh, I, don't, I don't think I want to say their names in case they ever listen to it. They, they can just assume that maybe they're someone else. Anyway, I had two friend dates. Um, both of them went, were okay. Uh, one of them I think I have a little bit more in common with than the other. Uh, the first one, I haven't talked to him again. So I don't think that's where we're going to be talking to each other. And then uh, the other one, uh, we have tentative plans to do a game night on this Thursday. Or no, I should, you know, it's funny. It's tentative for me, but I definitely confirmed. <laughs> so it's like, uh, <laughs> I was like tentative. Yeah. No, but I. I said, I'll like, hell yeah, I'll definitely be there. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's done it. Uh, yeah. Classic friends. Um, and then, classic um, friends. <laughs> and then also, I've been, um, 
I have been texting with the friends that I made from the first week, but have not yet hung out with them again, though we did text earlier today about making some plans uh, for maybe Wednesday or Friday. So it looks like that friendship is continuing and blossoming and stuff. Uh, I know you had and, and stuff. I mean, I'm a great speaker. <laughs> I should do a podcast. Put that on the record. Uh, so, uh, but Ian, I know you had some fun stuff as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, my, you know, it's, my experience was definitely a lot less successful than yours, and there's no way around that. Um, we've talked about whether or not that's because you live in New York, and um, there's just like a, a larger sample of people from which to like, you know, meet or draw from or, or whatever, or if it's just because of, I'm an absolutely insufferable person. Um, I'd like to think it's New York, but you know, facts <laughs> are facts. Uh, but I did, I did become relatively close with uh, uh, a guy named Tiago, uh, a, a lovely Brazilian gentleman. Um, we have hung out a couple times. We've texted. Like uh, the last time we hung out, it was actually really cool. Like we went to a park to meet another guy. Um, he was an interesting cat. Um, interesting cat. What the? Who the? Am I a fucking jazz musician in the thirties? Jazz. Uh, so we we hung out and like you know, afterwards like Tiago and I um, we you know jumped back in his car and we were like, dude, let's get some chicken wings right now. And we went to like another park and like we're eating chicken wings on a park bench and drinking and talking about you know like we talked uh, just life and politics and it felt really organic. Like it felt like you know something that we would do together where it's just like. You and a friend, you you get together with someone and it's like you kind of create your own fun and your own adventure. Um, mm. So it's like, I definitely think that my friendship with him will like continue. Um, he's going to be coming over to like a housewarming for my, for my new place pretty soon. Uh, we've already got plans to like have dinner with my wife. So it's like, I'm, I'm excited for this like friendship. Like I, I do feel like I made a, a genuine connection with a, with a real person because um, he's like a really cool guy. Uh, I did really try to schedule other dates and it just didn't work out. Like dates never lined up. People were busy. I had a friend date on Saturday um, and he, you know, told me that he went mountain hiking and twisted his ankle, which just sounds like the mother of all excuses. Um, like it's just, just real enough to be believable, but like, who's just you're like, Oh, I was just hiking and I fell. <laughs> I'm sure you were buddy. Uh, and then, you know, like I, I kind of topped friendship camp off with like some old friends and, uh, I was invited to a party and it was just like one of those things where like you have this kind of revelation of maybe like it, rather than, I don't, I don't know, branching out, tentacle, tentacling out, or uh, that sounds a little that's, bit like, uh, what's that porn, that cartoon porn with the octopus stuff? It's just called tentacle porn. <laughs> oh, yeah. You'd think they'd jazz it up a bit. <laughs> you in jazz today. For how, for how creative that porn is, you'd think they'd, they'd, do, they'd do better than uh, the porn on the tentacles. It's just called tentacle porn. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm sorry. It's just, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's cool. It's just, it's, it's so weird. Like, I've, I, I definitely was thinking more about just, you know, managing relationships I have currently and then um, I, like friend, friendships to continue and make in the future. Uh, it's exhausting though, man. And we talked about this. It's exhausting. Like I drank way over these past two weeks. I drank so much more alcohol 
than I normally do, where it's like I'm, I'm usually a once uh, a week or once every two week kind of guy. Mm, yeah, no, it's 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 super taxing and it's super expensive, like going out all the time, like, uh, you know, going out multiple times a week. Like I went out uh, with one of one of the friend dates I went out on. I think it was Tuesday. Uh, I ended up spending $50 at this restaurant because I got there and we were hanging out and I, I like hadn't eaten dinner. So I'm like, okay, I guess I got to order some food and the portions were super small. And I ended up buying like appetizers. Well, yeah, I bought appetizers and uh, I figured I'm like, I'll get this first round. And then I did. And then um, I, I just paid for it. And I was like, no, no, I'll get it, man. Like, don't worry about it. And then I did that um, too. Yeah. And then I <laughs> the next round came and I paid for it as well. Cause like the way, <laughs> the way it worked out, it was like this weird, like COVID related thing where you had to pay like ahead of time. And I was just like, I don't want to like make it a big thing. So then I ended up, yeah, yeah I ended up spending 50 bucks, like so fast, man. It's just in, insane. And so like, thank God, like I'm in a place right now where like accidentally spending $50 doesn't end me because I've definitely been there before where if I accidentally spend $50, you know, it, it, it might hurt my uh, abilities to eat later on in the week. Um, yeah, no. And like, I did the same thing and I was, I, I don't want to say I used it as leverage, but it was like one of those like friendly kind of, Hey, get me next time, man. Like next time we hang out, you, you pick it up. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> so it's just like, I definitely do feel like I, I use that as an opportunity to like show like it, my, you know, good faith and be like, Hey man, like we're buds. I invited you out. I got this. Like I pay, I think I got us like two apps to split. Mm. Um, I, he paid for his beers, but like I paid for the food when they right. asked, I was like, I ah, just put the food on mine. I got it. Don't worry about it. That's, I mean, that's really sweet. And I think that's a good, that is a good first move if you're trying to make friends. And I mean, it might bode, might explain why it is that you and Tiago were able to maintain that friendship. I'm assuming it was with Tiago. Was it with? Yeah, someone? this was with okay. uh, Tiago. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then you also went, uh, you went out to a party last night, right? Yeah. And then, uh, I, like I said, uh, some, I, I mentioned in previous episodes that like I made friends with, uh, this, this group of people who have been friends for a long time. And I mean, like, they're just awesome people. Like I, I absolutely love spending time with them. They're great. But I also don't feel like I'm close enough with them to invite anybody in that particular group out to hang out one on one. Mm. Like they're usually like, oh, Ian, like we're all hanging out, come over. And I think that's just kind of this whole cruise deal is like they usually hang out in a big group. But after what we learned from this camp, like I think I'm just going to, I don't know, start to be a bit more bold and maybe just, just be like, it. hey, man, like let's hang out tonight. Yeah, and I think that's a really solid move. And I, I think you're absolutely right. If there, there's anything that I feel like coming out of this is just like, you just have to fucking do it and like worse and just like really bite the bullet and just assume everything's going to be okay. And yeah. worst case scenario, you just don't talk to someone, um, <laughs> you know, or like it's talk to so, someone yeah, again. It's so funny because I do think we went into this a little bit, um, maybe thinking that there would be some tricks or tips or like a BuzzFeed article about like five ways to make a new best friend. Mm -hmm. But it's not like that. It's just like the, it, there's nothing more to it than just like, you know, bite down on the belt, rip the bandaid off and like just put yourself out there. What's been really cool for me during this whole thing is that I actually went to a party last night as well. And a lot of the people that were at the last week's party were the same people who were at the party we went to together for our introduction to friendship camp, which was wow. such a cool full circle closure. Um, you'll, you'll get to hear later on um, the interview we had with um, but yeah, after that interview we had, I mean, we had such a great time, like the three of us just ch chatting up and then, and then she's just like, I'm going to a party, like come with me. And it was basically all of the same friends. It was a yeah. really cool closure to this um, experience of making friends. And I'm just glad that like, I, I now can like go the rest of my life without ever having to make an additional friend. <laughs> 
Um, and you know what's so interesting too is like, and this, the, as Campry education likely enters its 10th year, when we are 42 and 40 <laughs> respectively, um, we will get to do this all over again. And uh, we can bond with people over like our colonoscopies. We can mm-hmm. laugh about the five-year COVID plague. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we can we can remember like, hey, remember before, like, remember when Donald Trump wasn't a supreme dictator? Like, wasn't that hilarious when we still had democracy? Yeah, that'll be fun. I won't be here then. I'll be in another country <laughs> at that point. But um, but yeah, we can Skype about it. It'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I I think on that note, now would probably be a good a time as ever to really like dive into the interviews and and to kind of give you an idea like where our heads were at. Uh, when I'm when I say our heads, I meant my head. Like uh, for some fucking reason, per my character, my nature, and just like my weird compulsion to like veer off topic. I wanted, I was dying to speak to an anthropologist to kind of walk us through just like human relationships generally, I guess. Um, and Shay, because he's just such a beautiful human being and a wonderful friend, was uh, was kind enough to humor me. And uh, we did end up talking to a really fascinating guy, uh, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Andy Hemmings, who runs an institute in Florida. And uh, I mean, right off the bat, one of the first things that he kind of discussed with us was this uh, need for connection. Um, and we'll play that clip for you now. We are very social creatures. And, and I mean, when you hear people talk about lone wolves or hermits or, you know, and I only recently learned that people in Europe used to sponsor hermits that would live in their gardens of the very well. You know about this? I, I, all right, I'm an anthropologist, I mean, and I'm going, really? That's so weird. I mean, doesn't that sort of defeat the purpose of hermitude? <laughs> Even in that example, you can't exist without other people, whether it's the stuff that other people make that you don't make yourself, or their proximity, some level of social interaction. And so isolation that I think a lot of people feel now in part stems from the virtualness of the relationships. It feeds part of the needs, but it's, it's not enough. We're, we are so hardwired in a particular way as a biological entity that the cyber reality is just that. It's fiber. It is not the more visceral reality that we're talking Immediately, this makes me think of is um, this quote that I remember reading a long time ago, uh, w- which was um, this, uh, the self can't or does not exist in isolation. Like this idea of the, the self kind of being uh, a set of like, and we talked about this previously, I think, like dynamic processes that like reacts to external stimulus, w- which basically means like you kind of invent yourself with every person that you meet. And uh, like the uh, the idea of relationships being essential to even being an individual. Um, and I, I really like the way he kind of put this in this idea that like isolation, like individualism or uh, individuality or isolation is, isn't enough. Like we we need people and like this really fundamental level what are, you, what are your thoughts on that yeah i think from 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 the ten thousand foot view or as you have been putting it the ten thousand year view from the anthropologist it it's a powerful message to, to recognize that we truly do need each other fundamentally and you, and you see this and i mean he, he he goes on um he goes on to talk about this uh a little bit further in in the next clip that we'll play in a moment but 
it just seems inescapably true that we require each other in order to survive and thrive and 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 build anything worthwhile in our lives whether that be community or on a you know fuck it i just feel like the community is really the only answer that you know follows yeah. after that so i don't know it is it's it is it is nice to hear from the archaeological anthropological perspective that humanity is is truly inherently social i really love that I, that's really nice I really love that idea of like, you know, the only way to build anything worthwhile is to like do so with or a community or even have the community be the thing you build. That's nice. Thanks, man. Uh, (laughs) I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm really good at this. (laughs) Uh, And you know, it's like he said something later on in the interview that I thought was really interesting Um, or maybe I interpreted it wrong, but I I feel like the misinterpretation was was uh, also very nice. So I'll, I'll lean into it. Was this idea that, like, you know, we talked about uh, needing other people kind of as like this, um, I don't know, would it, do you think it's accurate to call it like a biological mechanism? Just like if you if you put your hand on a hot stove, it, 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 you're something, there is a signal sent to your brain that said, ow, that's hot, like, uh, as opposed to, you know, like not having a community, I don't know, mm. a similar signal gets sent to your brain that's like, better get out there and make some friends, buddy. I think a metaphor that works better for me is almost the metaphor of like, I'm hungry or I'm sleepy. It's like, I need something and I, I, I'm lacking in some way. Something is wrong here and I, I feel somehow incomplete, you know, eating, drinking, whatever, something like that. And that's and that's kind of what I think I remember him saying was that like, you know, the, this whole question about where this need for people comes from. And it's like, if you have to pee, you don't question your need to pee. So like, why question this need for people? Like it's, it's just as biologically rooted as the necessity of like uh, excavation. And so. yet there, there's, there's maybe equally like a stigma against like, I don't know, if you got to like take a shit, like you don't just announce, hey, I got to take a shit because there's some kind of weird stigma against <laughs> just announcing it. Similarly, there's like the weird stigma about saying like, I need friends. Everyone's I like, who's that fucking that freak? fucking <laughs> analogy. Like, you, hey, you don't, you don't tell everybody at the table like, hey guys, enjoy your chicken. I'm going to go take a shit. <laughs> I, I love that like that's the taboo. It's like, come on, come on, Billy. You're not, you would announce to everybody at the table like, this feels like diarrhea. I'll be back in yeah and similarly at the fucking party you don't just stop everyone you say hey everyone i'm looking for friends you know because you know similarly there's like something that i guess is like a little cringy maybe about it or there's like some kind of weird stigma against it and i I, and i don't know we talked about this a little bit and i don't know if we really got to the, the the bottom of it but i guess like my gut reaction has been that there if you don't have a community then I, you know, and I, I understand automatically that this is like, could be a problematic idea, but uh, there's a potential that there's something wrong with you. And it's that's mm. like uh, maybe a little scary to other people. It's like you're not tested. You're not vouched for. You don't have that five star Google rating, you know, yeah. uh, so you don't have people who are saying, OK, this is worth the energy. Whereas if you have a, a huge group of amazing, supportive friends who vouch for you and want to spend time with you, that's inf- effectively an endorsement, you know, which yeah. might which might explain to some degree why we love celebrity so much. That's interesting. I really like that idea. Um, and I think I had spoken, I had addressed this with Dr. Hemmings as well. And I said, like, do you think that anxiety 
from rejection from other people is this again like this this innate like this old mechanism wherein if we were rejected or thrown out of our tribe and we had to like find a new tribe like there was always that risk of rejection and like you know now we'll just say you can't sit with us but back then maybe they would be like well time to bash your head in with the rock or or time to exile you and then try living <laughs> alone in the fucking wilderness, yeah. you know, without your people. I'm to chase you away with sticks and rocks and right. uh, there's some lions over there. Have fun. Yeah, I guess like, and, and again, to just go back to the, the metaphor you're just talking about, um, mm. which I guess isn't going back to it if we're still on it. But <laughs> <laughs> like if, if, if you are exiled from a group, right? I'm just thinking like, again, from like an evolutionary psycho psychology perspective. Yeah. If you're exiled from one group, you probably fucked up somehow. And if then yeah. you, ha you have to like approach a new group and say, hey, I need a new group. I need a new community. Yeah. The, the, the community is probably has some standing to be a little wary and say like, yeah. okay, well, why? What did you fucking do to to be here in need of us? And there's that, and that's that idea too that we're going to come back to later. This idea that you always find your tribe, and like you know, maybe yeah, you got kicked out of that one tribe for fucking eating babies, mm -hmm. and then like you you go from tribe to tribe, and finally you find one, and they're like, "What did you do?" And you're like, "I ate a baby," and they're like, "Oh, like dude, like that's our thing. Like, we we love are the baby eating here. tribe. Welcome." <laughs> Here's yeah. a baby. <laughs> Here's a baby. Have fun. <laughs> Go to town. Yum, yum. He's like, I brought my own. <laughs> <laughs> Me baby is Sue baby. <laughs> nice. Not not at all racially insensitive. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Can I try that again? For <laughs> my baby is your baby. Please. <laughs> yeah. So, so, as, so speaking of shared interests, I think the, the next <laughs> quote that, uh, that uh, Dr. Hemmings uh, <laughs> talked about was a little bit about the idea of working together and how that can facilitate bonding and friendship. So let's just go ahead and hear that. I'm wondering if that's where we are today, if we, our, our need for friendship stems from this working together previously, like as, as we evolved. I don't know, does, does that make sense? Does, do you think that, that has any truth to it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about when people have been through combat together, when people have been through very emotional and intense experiences together, whether it's joyful or tragic, it's about bonding. I mean, we talk about bonding relationships or bonding episodes, uh, trust building, and basically relying and, and knowing it's okay to be vulnerable to other people. And I think that in the digital world is probably a little tough, but in our biological hardwiring, we, we're made that way and we so we continue to speak it out in different ways. But if I don't hit it off with somebody sitting at the table next to me at Starbucks, it's probably not a life or death situation. <laughs> I mean, it's not always, or it was not always this harsh, but in a world where we are a small, slow critter with no fangs, no, not particularly great eyesight, particularly good ear hearing, we were not the apex predator of the Pleistocene necessarily. There's, you know, saber cats, American lions, uh, mammoths are just going to walk by you if they don't, if they're not worried about you poking them with a stick or something that um, we would rely very heavily on others to let us know what's going on in the world around us. I really love everything
something that both of you were saying in there. Um, I don't really, I don't care that I, you know, you didn't hear me uh, say anything smart. Like, that's That's fine. funny. I actually prefer it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, like, I absolutely love every, like, b- what both of you were talking about there. This idea of, like, um, goals and, and bonding. And what I really kind of think about is, like, as I think about maybe why we're in this era of, like, pretty intense feeling alienation and isolation beyond just COVID. I mean, even before that, like people were fucking grinding. Like everyone is working really hard. Everyone is sometimes working multiple jobs and there's there's no real time for bonding. And if I'm thinking about that kind of from a cultural perspective, like, you know, when you remove like this shared collectivist idea of a goal um, to help kind of like you build an identity. Like it feels like our generation, there's not like a, 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 a goal that we're collectively like working towards. The only thing to bound, uh, to bind you after that is like, um, rites of passage, you know, mm. where it's just like, oh, we all have these like same collective experiences. And as we continue to be kind of like overworked and spread more thin, we're not even really having a, a chance to experience those. Like what is like the, the, the most unique American bonding experience or rite of passage that we have left? Like Black Friday? Oh my God, that is a dark <laughs> perspective. Uh, but maybe you're right, man. I mean, I, I definitely think that maybe historically, after our ancestors who would hunt, gather, and forage, and we went to you know a more agricultural society and before going to ultimately the capitalist society we live in now, I think along that way, I, th- I think we probably generally had more collective goals like you're describing. But yeah. now I feel like we all, especially in the fucking time of COVID where we're all like at home working on such a small part of a huge machine where mm. you can't see all of the gears. In fact, most most of what you do is is a mystery even to yourself that it's hard to find any kind of bonding experience with the people who are on the, in that same machine. You know, you really, you, you, and I, and you know what, even beyond that, I don't think people give a fuck about their own jobs. Like, I don't know about you, um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do know about you is the truth. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, so like we fucking hate our jobs. You know what I mean? Like it is absolutely that that's the only reason we're doing this at all, because this is the only fucking thing we seem to care about right now. You know what I mean? And so like Ian and I, for the listeners, like Ian and I spend hours a day working on this fucking podcast, which I, I may have mentioned before, and it may sound absurd to you because this podcast is so bad, but we still put so much time and energy into it. And it it gives me meaning. And I think it it creates the bond between me and Ian that feels more valuable and more fulfilling than anything that I could possibly do at work or really in anything in my daily life. And, and even if you do have the, you know, uh, friendships of pleasure, as we continue to move forward and think about these, you know, three types of friendships, which, which we do just uh, break down more a little bit later, but it's just like the friendships of pleasure don't necessarily feel enough where it's just like, you know, at the end of the fucking week, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to build toward, but go to a bar and throw back a couple fucking drinks. Like even that feels really empty. And that doesn't, that, that doesn't build connection, you right. know? Yeah, absolutely. And just to remind anyone from home, so th- th- we've been we've been tossing around these ideas of this. Uh, Aristotle had this framework for viewing friendships, and maybe it's right, maybe it's not. I think Ian and I have different perspectives on that as well. But there's the <laughs> the three ideas, and it's that there's a uh, uh, friends that are primarily for pleasure, friendships of utility, which could be like you know someone like networking or uh, someone who could maybe like help you with your uh, car trouble, um, and then also 
friendships of moral value who might be like role models, uh, people you might look up to or admire for who they are as people. And uh, so we've been kind of viewing everything uh, through that framework generally, I think. You know, what's so crazy is like while we were doing this, like while we were putting ourselves out there, while I was putting myself out there, I kept trying to think about what kind of friend I could be, like what role I wouldn't necessarily fill for another person. Mm. And I couldn't really think of anything outside of fucking pleasure. It was like, what do I have to bring to the table? I mean, I I don't specialize in anything. I'm not an expert in anything. Like the only thing I'm good at is like maybe uh, cracking a couple jokes and like helping people blow off steam, which I thought was, which made me a little self-conscious. And I was just like, I don't really know if I have anything to offer people. Um, But Dr. Hemmings said something about this and, and why that's important. And we'll play that for you in this clip now. aspect I would think in terms of human behavior that comes related to all the other mammals is play. The social connection beyond the immediate, immediate biological imperative stuff is going to be humor. And of course that's an incredible mechanism for diffusing tension as well. I mean think about the dark trench humor, combat humor. Um, when we looked at the shark, my first inclination was just to um, push my friend towards it. <laughs> Sorry, David. <laughs> I know what I'm saying, though. Make jokes about that. Is that. You know, I don't have to swim the shark. I just got to swim you. So, ju- just for any of the listeners at home, he, he uh, uh, you know what? Fuck it. Who cares? He talked about a shark story earlier. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Ian, I think like what he says actually... I think it might be more reassuring to maybe some of the anxiety or fear you were having about yourself because I I think that their friendship of pleasure, it might sound superficial, but I think it's probably actually ultimately pretty important to enjoy spending time with people just for the sake of who they are or the kind of jokes they can make or the ease that you can feel around them and comfort and security that they bring you. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, this was something that I deeply struggled with. And I wonder again, and, you know, Dr. Carbone talked about this, too, when we get into her interviews in a minute. This idea that, like, we do live in such an intensely capitalistic individual society where, like, you're you're really forced to, like, uh, process your worth in terms of, like, an output framework almost. And it's just like, you know, like, um, unless I'm standing on a stage and making people laugh, like, there's no value to this. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know. It it definitely made me feel a lot. There was a lot of relief in, in hearing that, like there is something maybe just as important biologically in being able to make people laugh than there is to like, I, um, I I go to the bathroom. That's not, uh, I grasped for straws. I, I brought back a spoon, uh, (laughs) shame on me. Uh, nice. Okay. Well, um, let's just uh, take a moment of silence for Shay's sense of or fuck for Ian's sense of humor. <laughs> uh, in, in now who's grasping for straws, you uh, fucking dork? You know what? Let's uh, let's hope that the fucking sponsor can save us from this uh, humiliation. Uh, sponsor, take it away. These days, making real friends takes time—time time most of us just don't have. If only there was a quicker way to make friends by capitalizing on the bonds of shared trauma. Introducing BFF, the only friendship service that fast tracks you and your new BFF into lasting friendship by horribly brutalizing the two of you together. How does it work, you ask? 
Simply select whomever you'd like to be your new BFF and we'll kidnap both of you and enter you through one of our three patented friendship gauntlets. Option one, the B-Box. You and your new BFF will be forcibly nailed inside a wooden box filled with bees for two weeks with only honeycomb cereal and an off-brand seltzer water to sustain you. Talk about friendship outside the box. Option two, the Beetle. We'll kidnap you and your new BFF and bolt you into a Volkswagen Beetle that will then fill with bees and push into a nearby lake or river. You'll be practically drowning in friendship. And finally, option three, Guantanamo B. You and your new BFF will be ruthlessly interrogated in a Guantanamo-style facility using a method that prominently features our personal favorite, giant agitated humanoid bees. What do they want to know? You and your new BFF will find out soon enough. Shared trauma has never been easier. Make your lifelong connection today with BFF. Get it? We're talking about bees. So when uh, Shay was done being just like an absolutely A-plus friend and humoring me and le letting me talk to a fucking anthropologist, um, because he is just such a, a beautiful, brilliant pragmatist, he had the foresight to s recommend that maybe we talk to somebody who deals and dabbles in friendships uh, professionally so that I, I, we weren't just speaking in figurative circles. Um, and, uh, we spoke, we had the, the pleasure of speaking to a woman by the name of, uh, Dr. Christina Carbone, who is based out of Michigan and she works with vets who have PTSD and, uh, helps them reintroduce into society. And one of the first things we talked to her about was, um, how to get two people to effectively communicate and really kind of like, uh, lay out what they want. So we'll play that clip for you now. So what, what would you qualify as like effective communication between two people? It's like one of those things where like when you hear it, you're like, okay, like I get that. But then if you were to ask me to kind of explain it, I would be like, well, I don't know. So the way in which we talk about it is really looking at prioritizing either your wants, the relationship or your self-respect in how you communicate. So if you want, for instance, to really get what you want, you may prioritize the relationship a little less and your self-respect a little less and then onward towards you know with the three so um, if relationship is the most important you may have to sacrifice getting exactly what you want and then also maybe a little bit of your self-respect wow so it's also about prioritizing and compromising that idea when i first heard it sounds so dark and maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's because I don't fully understand it and yeah. uh, it's, it's maybe just a framework of thinking I had never considered before but yeah. this idea that you have to give up some aspect of self-respect to, to maintain a relationship or get what you want uh, it just like something immediately stings as like uh, <laughs> like kind of fucked up or I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what it is it's like it's like uh, you humiliate yourself so that someone loves you or something <laughs> 
Oh my god. I think you're taking it to its most extreme conclusion too, which I absolutely love. <laughs> That's like the only place my head went with this one. You're just uh, like, uh, please love me. I hate myself so much. Little baby will make a mess if you'll love him a little more. Oh my god. <laughs> baby just you wants a pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm enjoying this. Uh, you know, it's, it's so funny too, uh, because we had talked about this previously as millennials, like we already have so little self-respect, we're like, oh no, we have to give up more. <laughs> Haven't you taken enough from us? <laughs> it was, it's hard. It's really hard to hear. Like, do you, do, okay, while you were making your friends over these past two weeks, do you ever feel like you were in a position or uh, to, to give up self-respect or do you have like a story about that or no i don't and i wonder if that's maybe like if that's why i'm confused or if that's why i, I wonder if maybe i don't understand the concept fully because if this is really a trade-off between these three um competing ideas then i don't think i understand what is specifically meant like maybe there's an academic term for what they mean by self-respect and it's not the colloquial term that we're used to i don't know what, what do you think I kind of understood it as like maybe more a matter of pride. Like I reached out to Dr. Carbone and kind of asked her to, you know, just clarify a little bit. Like when you say self-respect, do you mean self-esteem? And she was like, well, like, uh, you know, they can kind of be used interchangeably. But in this instance, they are different. And I mean, like the version of self-respect I understood it to be was this idea kind of like a pride and a confidence in oneself. So it was a willingness to kind of be less proud. And uh, maybe, you know, fold sometimes. Like, uh, have you heard that expression, like, it takes the bigger man to fold? No. That's what I thought of. Like, I thought of this idea that, like, you know, you have to be, like she said, you have to be willing to compromise. Like, mm. you can't always get everything the way you want it. Like, sometimes you you have to just say, okay, like, I'm okay not getting this. Which, which in that instance, I understand more than, like, you know, this idea that you're totally letting somebody shit all over your dignity for the sake of a relationship. But, um, I did not hear the word dignity coming out when you said shit all over your dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I want to push back on that a little bit because if you're saying you can't get what you, what you want, one of the other, th uh, one of the three other things was your wants. So yeah. what do they, what do you, what do they mean when you're saying, well, you can't get everything you want if you're trying to relationship, well, that one makes perfect sense to me. But one of the other things is your wants. So then the self-respect thing, like, I feel like I can respect myself while not getting what I want. I can say, you know what? I'm going to be the bigger man, which doesn't like when I take that doesn't mean I'm not respecting myself of anything. I'm like building myself up or using it as an excuse to, to build myself up or to, you know, to try and build myself up and say, no, I am the bigger person. I am respecting myself and you by not getting what I want. And it's interesting because I feel like in a lot of instances, like your self-respect is tied into what you, you you want if like we're defined by what we want. And I don't mean necessarily materially, but I mean like out of life, out of relationship, out of each other. So it's like, you know, like maybe using us as like an example, like um, what, what do you like... Uh, Maybe not using us as an example. I was going to ask, like, what do you want, you know, from, from me? Like, what do you think I want from you? In terms of friendship? Or in terms of relationship? Yeah, both. Or just one. You pick whichever one you want to answer. I feel like maybe it's, they're both the same thing anyway. Um, what do I want from you? So, if I, if I, whatever I say, I get it, right? 
we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, uh, we're putting, we're putting Dr. Kaban's theory to the test right now. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Uh, what I want from you, I want probably to be seen, to be heard, to like, to have like genuine connection, but I guess that's, I don't know if that's what I want from you or what I want with you. Interesting. So I don't know. I mean, maybe I want your patience and your time and your attention from time to time. You know what I mean? Like when it's appropriate and like with the expectation and understanding that that will be reciprocated. Yeah, I don't know. That's it's it's interesting, right? Like it's uh, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, like of course this makes sense, but when it when it comes time to kind of unpack it, it gets so much more complicated because then you have to then you have to honestly ask yourself like, okay, what do I want? Um, and that could be hard for anybody to answer. So um, beyond uh, what we, you know, each of us wants, um, we kind of, you were wrestling earlier throughout this camp, this idea of like, where is the line between love and friendship? And I really like your idea about this. And you kind of asked Dr. Carbone to unpack it for you. Uh, so let's listen to that now. I would probably take it even a step further back and just define relationship, um, which is just kind of the the connection that you have with a, another thing or a person. And then telling, because when most of the time when we start talking about relationships, most of the veterans automatically assume we're talking about romantic relationships. And I do have to say, oh, this all these skills can be related to friendships as well. So really just any kind of connection that you have with another person that you like, I guess I'm, I'm struggling with that one. <laughs> no, it's, it's really interesting because I mean, we've, we've been thinking about this a lot. And um, mm -hmm. one, one thing that I've, I've said a lot in my history and I'm giving away way too much information uh, and I don't know what, regardless, I'm diving in. Um, I, uh, so I'm, I, for a large part of my adulthood, have identified as uh, polyamorous. It's an identity that I struggle mm -hmm. with sometimes. But one of the ideas that I think I have through living that kind of a lifestyle is that friendship and partnership exist on a spectrum and that the only the only real difference between partnership, a committed partnership and a committed friendship might be uh, sexual intimacy, but that all of the aspects of emotional intimacy, trust, vulnerability, all of those remain uh, in both. And uh, I'm just curious if what, what your thoughts are on that, if you have any, if, what, what you think about it. Absolutely. I would agree with that a hundred percent because especially, you know, even because I'm going to continuously take it back to work, mm. they, these veterans feel so vulnerable in even their friendships. So when you said vulnerability, it really stuck out to me because being, you know, having to have to trust another person, be vulnerable with, an, vulnerable with another person and um, really open up and be their true selves is so intimidating to them that they can't they can't do it um so i i definitely would ag agree with you on that one how do you how do you kind of work with them to be more vulnerable like what are some things that we can do to open ourselves up which i i, I get this is i feel i almost feel like we're ganging up on you i'm sorry we're like Hi. the hardest <laughs> questions answer impossible questions for an hour what's life while we're at it <laughs> yeah what is the meaning of all this um 
I, I think exposure is going to be key, right? Continuing to put yourself into situations in which are uncomfortable for you. And the more we do that, the easier it's going to get. So I just always continue to push them to engage socially, even if they're feeling uncomfortable, because what we know about our, you know, our emotions that come up when we start to feel uncomfortable is that over time they, they peak and then they start to subside. So if you're feeling anxious, just kind of ride it out. And, you know, um, depending on how long it takes, it could be 10 minutes, it could be five minutes, it could be, you know, even 30 minutes, but it will eventually start to come down and you will start to, that, that emotion will subside and you will start to become more comfortable. I just thought of this when I heard her say this again, when I heard you say it again. Do you ever fear or like how vulnerable do you feel when you tell people that you're polyamorous? Because I feel like there are a lot of identities that people carry. And then like when they present them to another person, it, there's a lot of preconceptions. And the other person goes immediately, I know exactly what kind of person you are. I don't really need to hear that much about you. you yeah. Can you like talk to me about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm happy to talk about that. Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me rephrase that. Uh, I'm not happy to talk about it, but, but I will. Um, and, uh, here I begin. <laughs> yeah, I fucking hate telling people that it, and it's, uh, it kind of sucks because I think you're absolutely right. Like people definitely have an opinion. And I think, especially when uh, a straight dude says it, people just assume that that's a way to have, um, meaningless casual sex with people. And which is like not my intention. My intention is to have meaningful casual sex with people. And, but, you know, uh, but like as a pro sex person and like, as like viewing like sex as like a way of connection with people, like, I don't want to have sex with everyone, you know what I mean? Or, or even most people, like, I just like, I just like some, and uh, you know, it's funny as I get older and I get less sexual and my sex drive kind of diminishes. Like I, I like care less and less. And right now, you know, I, I was single for the last two years and I was really identifying as polyamorous. And I've been in a relationship now with my girlfriend who I really, really love. And uh, I don't care as much about fucking other people, but I definitely still care about developing deep uh, connections with other people. And like that, that I feel like doesn't go away. And in fact, people who I connect, who I've connected with previously, um, people from my past, like I, I've like, you know, when my girlfriend, and I talked about this, it's like, it's like, no, like I might want to like sleep with some of these people again. Like that, that might be something because it's like, it's, I don't know. It's something about our past and something about the way we connect. It's like meaningful to me. Um, but yeah, man, it's fucking hard. People, people really do not like that idea. And they, I feel like it's like a direct attack against their lifestyle and their beliefs. Yeah. Similar to like saying you're like a vegetarian. People are like, oh yeah, well you just think I'm like some kind of fucking asshole and you want to like take away all my meat <laughs> <laughs> or something. It's like pro gun people like this freaking I love out. the idea I'm just picturing you going around tapping people on the shoulder in a restaurant and uh, they're eating a steak and you go excuse me sir I'm a vegetarian <laughs> you like cower over there playing like not again not again I like the uh, the other idea of going to weddings and saying actually everyone I'm polyamorous this doesn't make any sense to me what are you saying to each other I love that like you start clanging on your like uh, it's speech time and you're like hi everyone yeah I just uh, listen as the as the, this wedding's poly, polyamorous person. I would just like to say how foolish this all is, how stupid you all look to me. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what you're saying. Like, you say to a married person, well, you're married, you know? So it's yeah. like, I mean, I it's, say, it's just so interesting, too, because, like, I, 
Um, I, you know, like I, I had no problem with monogamy before I got married, but like I, uh, I never. I never saw myself as getting married. I never really wanted to get married. It wasn't something I necessarily wanted to do until I met my wife. And there's still this like kind of like anxiety in the back of my head as like we're kind of like one foot in one foot out in this like adult stage where like a lot of the people I meet still are not married. A lot. Some of the people are. And just like being kind of put into a camp of person where it's just like, oh, you're married. You probably go to bed at nine o'clock. You have matching pajamas. You drink warm milk. You fucking suck. Um, like you're like, are you going to show me baby pictures next? Um, so it's like, I, I have a hard time separating myself from like my very like spontaneous, compulsive, like, uh, wild persona that I think immediately gets tampered down when I tell people like, oh yeah, I'm married. No, I think you're, you know, and it's so funny because you're talking exactly about a conversation we had with <laughs> uh, our third, our third guest this week, who as soon as she realized Ian was married, her demeanor and approach, she started apologizing for jokes, crude jokes she had made, which is bizarre. She's like, I'm so sorry I made that, that crude joke to you earlier. I didn't realize <laughs> that you were a taken man. Like what a yeah. conservative idea. And she, for, to her credit, like she immediately recognized, she's like, holy shit, that was so like kind of fucked up that he even like I felt like I needed to apologize, you know. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like if we're talking about equality and this idea that we'll get to in a minute about cross-sex friendships, then like why is it inappropriate? Like if we're all equal, like you know, like I tell you to you know kiss my ass, uh, jerk me off, whatever. Um, I guess it, I'm, in like, that order, I'm, right? I'm realizing <laughs> I've, I've actually never said this to any of my female friends. I'm like, wait, no, I've never told one of my female friends. Hey, how about you just jack me off, you asshole? <laughs> That's a good move. I feel like you've learned a lot in the last uh, couple of years of uh, social movements. So good for you. So speaking, speaking, you know what? I would say that, um, did, is there, you know what? I feel like I cut you off a little bit. I, I wanted to just jump in. Were you going to say something else about like, um, this like, you know, fear of rejection and vulnerability and kind of like revealing who you are. Especially in regards to polyness or just in, in general? Maybe both. If there was something else that you didn't get to touch on. Uh, no, I feel like, I mean, I, the, I mean, the gist of it is like, yeah, I think like people are always a little afraid to like show who they really are to everyone because there is always the fear of rejection. Like people might see one aspect of you and then fucking hate that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it fucking exists and I've definitely have been like rejected for being poly or like told when I was dating, like, you know, people was like, I'd say I'm poly and they're like, I, I have no fucking interest, which is honestly also fair. Like if that's a lifestyle that they like, no one's interested in and on it, dude, it's a fucking, it's a, it's a minefield for me too. Like the more I think about it, like I, I'm, I don't know how I feel about it. Like I live that life. I've dated people that way before. And like right now it's not something I really want, but it's, it's definitely something I super identified with before. And my therapist is just so smugly sure that uh, it's just like some kind of um, fear Based? of commitment oh. that, uh, that I've internalized as an identity, which, uh, wow. Yeah, so it, like that's not a that's not a fun thing to to, to have to worry if, if my entire like <laughs> lifestyle is just based out of a fear. Like, oh, fuck so you, Kara. <laughs> that's so dark. I hope Kara hears this. Um, but you know, it, like I think this is something that we can both work on too. It's just just like Dr. Carbone had said. Like it all comes down to exposure. It just comes down to having the courage to repeatedly. Put, not maybe not necessarily put yourself in the position, but be in the position to just be open and honest and get used to the fact that, yeah, sometimes you'll get rejected, but it's not the end of the world. It just means like that person isn't, you know, a, a part of your tribe or that's not someone that like you need to be seeking the approval or attention of.
Absolutely. So another really interesting thing that Dr. Carbone talked about, and it was especially interesting to me because of my big smart boy question, was this idea of toxic masculinity in the, the veteran community and especially the community that she works with who have difficulties because of their PTSD or, or uh, other um, mental issues that create dissonance in their friendships. It's really interesting to hear her talk about it. So I'll just go ahead and play that for you right now. But it still feels like a big challenge for society. And I, and I wonder how much of that comes out with the vets that, that you work with. Is there a lot of toxic masculinity in that population? I just feel like it has to be riddled with it, but maybe that's just a, a stereotype. Oh, definitely riddled with it. Um, it's, you know, so many of my, my therapy sessions, you know, start off, well, like, I can't believe I'm telling you this right now. It makes me, it makes me so weak. Um, you know, I can't cry in front of you. And I'm like, that is like the one thing that you can totally do. And it's, this is the setting where it's appropriate um, to feel your feelings and things like that. So a hundred percent, I think that, and I, I've even seen that in, you know, my, my, my friends who are males, just not being able to open up to each other and really express the way they feel, or even talk about issues that they feel very passionate about because they think that the other person will, see them as weak or overly emotional and somehow less manly then and i guess that's that's the toxic masculinity right definitely less definitely then less manly hearing this again you know what i'm reminded of is this idea that we kept coming back to of authenticity of like being yourself and i feel like there is a large section of the population that maybe kind of identifies with their masculine, like a, like a group of men that maybe identify with like being manly and like maybe beyond being afraid to open up, maybe feeling like being emotional is being inauthentic to their self perception or like how they perceive themselves. Absolutely, man. And, uh, uh like, this was my big smart boy question. Like, why don't I have male friends? And uh, I'll just go ahead and spoil that question because uh, this feels like the best place to do it, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't think I have, I've had, I don't think that I've had many male friends through the last 10 or 15 years because toxic masculinity took hold of me and most of the men that I would encounter and uh, basically told all of us to, to not fucking open up and be vulnerable. And like, I fucking hate that. And I'd much rather be open and vulnerable. And I think what both of us, like you, you've, you've expressed this as well, like what both of us have found in our relationships with women is that women don't have those same societal pressures to clam up and like are more open and free and willing to express that kind of vulnerability in a way that's really connecting. And like you, you yeah. feel heard and seen by these people and like you feel like you can hear and see them as well. And it just makes for more meaningful connection. And so I think that all, I think many men really struggle with feeling connected with other people because many men struggle with vulnerability and not feeling like it's somehow not manly. 
And you know, it's been really rewarding going out on a limb to make friends with dudes and with guys, right. with uh, like a type of friendship I've typically avoided in the past just because it's like, well, like I don't fucking hike. I don't fucking play sports. I don't like fishing. I like guns scare me a little bit. They're very loud and they can kill you. <laughs> um, so it's just like all of these like very typically masculine, but like things that I'm just not interested in. It's been cool to kind of, you know, uh, be a little more willing to be rejected because it's all under the the, the guise of an experiment um, and actually being able to connect with people, like meeting dudes who like aren't like that, aren't super bro-y and aren't always like posturing. Um, and we've been able to have like really nice conversations. Like there wasn't that whole like threat of, oh God, like I'm going to reveal myself to be uh, effeminate or something like that. Like it was... Nice knowing that like that maybe my fear was relatively um, ungrounded. So two two things about that. I feel like one, the pool of people that we are selecting from, uh, namely the pool of people, the pool of men who are comfortable going on Bumble BFF to begin with are probably men who are either desperate enough or comfortable enough to try something that is mm. a little out of the ordinary for our current times. I think we alluded to this before that dating online is not a thing anymore. There's not really a taboo, no stigma any longer, but making friends still kind of is. It's going back to the what we talked about earlier about that stigma. So I think that you might just be in a pool of people who are just cooler or more desperate one or the other and then the other thing that i think is worth mentioning is it's funny i do this too but even you just a moment ago you snicker like my bro date like as if it's like it's still like yeah. are you, we almost have to dismiss it it's like haha my my guy date it's like haha like it's you know we, we're still poking fun out of it wow, almost to yeah. like release some tension that's crazy. I didn't even recognize it too. Like it's still, it's still so innate and it's just, you know, like I said, man, it's, it's, it's toxic. It's super toxic. It's really hard to shake. And we talked about this a lot with, um, our new best friend and, um, you know, she's also wary of, uh, making connections with straight men. And, uh, I think she puts it, I wouldn't say beautifully, but I would say very entertainingly in this next clip here. Matt, and I think I remember this correctly. You said you don't know if you would have talked to us if you had assumed we were straight from the beginning. Is that true? Um, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I say a lot of shit when I'm drunk, but like, <laughs> I I don't know. Like, I've been like, um, hmm, that's really interesting. I think like, especially when you come from like a place that's like not like as um, open-minded um, and not that Bushwick is like particularly open-minded, but it's just like a place like we're all freaks like at some level. I feel like that's like the united thread of Bushwick. Like we we're just talking about this before we started recording. Like I think a lot of people who come here like feel like they they're a misfit to their place of origin like in some way. And I think like um, from where I come from, like I associate like straight like masculinity as very like. I don't know, like, I, I I don't see it as coming from a place of, like, earnestness or vulnerability or authenticity. And, like, that's all the, like, shit I look for in, like, my connections. I was, like, from the get-go, like, if I was, like, if you were, like, tonight you're going to go to a party and you're going to meet some straight guys, like, how do you think that interaction gonna, is going to go? And I was, like, well, either they're going to, like, talk to me about shit I don't care about, which you guys did, but, like, that's fine. <laughs> um, or they're going to hit on me or, like, there's just going to, like, be weird, like, Friday bro and try to, like, fucking, like, I don't know, like, flap their feathers 
Um, right. So, you know, but, you know, I like to be pleasantly surprised. Like, I'm often wrong. Love to admit it. It's fine. and say I resent being called a freak. Uh, I don't live in Bushwick. I'm I'm cooler <laughs> than both of you. I live in Boston. I live in Boston. Oh fuck! I did the accent. I, I'm a loser. <laughs> yeah, I think. But Justine touched on something really fundamental to what we've been talking about, which yeah. is yeah, it's just crazy. Like she doesn't want to hang out with people that we don't want to hang out with either. Like none of <laughs> we're all looking for the same fucking thing, and it's this vulnerability. And the funniest thing about this entire interaction is that when I met Justine, uh, I th- I basically thought she was the same kind of person she thought we were. Uh, we both yeah. thought the other person was incapable or unwilling to be vulnerable. And we, we talk about it here. Uh, and you know what's so funny is like, um, Shay, I don't know if I'm like telling you a little go, bit, but like, go for it, go for it. Uh, you, you can phrase it better than me. You can, you can doctor it up any way you want. But I think you just said your exact words were like, you were kind of like afraid of her or something or like. Yeah. And I think we talked about this actually in person uh, for those many of you listening who don't know who she is already. Uh, <laughs> but you uh, will. But you will. Um, she uh, at least came across to me as someone, I think I described you as a pineapple or like a porcupine or something. Yeah, pineapple. Yeah. It was pineapple. Yeah, and it's just like, it's like, uh, I know that there, like, I know within every person there is a soft, gentle, sweet side that, like, I want to get to know. But with some people, it's harder to get to that and there's more effort. And the pineapple metaphor was uh, like a hard exterior. And, like, generally, I don't put a lot of energy into those kind of people. But Ian, when when you guys saw each other, that was like a really interesting experience because I inter- I interpreted it as you just railing on Ian like for a large part of the night, like just like testing his ego. Be like, you gonna break now? You gonna break now? Oh and- my god, that is actually like you and my you and my therapist have a conversation because <laughs> I do that a lot. Are you breaking now? Yeah, what about now? Do you love me now? <laughs> like, how about this one, huh? Ooh, yeah. where did this? Can you take it? It's, yeah, and Ian. Ian did uh, to to his like uh, to my surprise and I was super impressed with him he would just like he has like this ego that is unshakable I think (laughs) and he just like could take all these jokes in stride and like add to like you would insult him in one way he'd be like yeah I totally suck like that and so I was watching this kind of from the sidelines for a little while and I was like I can't handle that I am way too sensitive and, uh, uh, the unflappable ego of a straight white man <laughs> it is a wonder to behold well, it, uh, it's just it's just funny because everyone's always like everyone should have a positive affirmation and my positive affirmation is Ian no one hates you quite like you hate you Oh, so, wow. He, he just tweeted that the other day. I saw him. <laughs> well, I, it's true. We are reusing I mean, like, jokes. True. Okay? Just um, true. true. But in the yeah. universe. I mean, I feel like you are portraying it, like, quite drastically. Like, I don't think I was, like, berating Ian for, like, an hour and a half. We have different memories of this evening. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I don't think Ian thinks it that way either, because no. I mean, obviously, like, Ian really likes you. And I, and I do, too, now. But it took a while for, like, me to, like, see the vulnerability like open yeah. up in you and like and, and I think we mentioned that in the first episode of this camp but that that night like we ended with like hugging and like I was on the verge of tears I don't totally remember what we were talking about now yeah. but I remember being really emotionally moving yeah
so funny that you thought that because I did not feel that way at all. This, this idea that she was kind of trying to like break me down necessarily. Like all I saw was like somebody who was being maybe like a little defensive. But what I recognized in was just like, you know, okay, here is like a funny, smart person um, who is wary of us. But maybe I was more just like kind of interested in the, the wariness thing. Is that mm. weird? It was just like, like, you know, like, okay, like clearly this is somebody who perceives me to be someone that I'm not. And like, I'm patient enough to be like, no, like, just like, give me uh, some time. And like, I'll show you, like, we're here in good faith. Um, like we're, we're definitely worth hanging out with. And like, you're someone who we definitely want, like on our team. Like you're someone that like, I would absolutely love to have in our club, that club being, I don't know, my friendship. Well, I think you specifically are patient and confident enough to outlast someone who's potentially checking you, like testing you, like, you know, fucking, uh, what's, what's the, like hockey checking you, you know, <laughs> to see like, Hey, what can you like, can you, can you stand up to this? Like, can you fucking take the heat? And yeah. you saw that it was a front, but like, I don't want to be fucking hockey checked at all. I don't think necessarily that I have the, the, definitely not the patience and maybe not the the confidence to, to withstand that it's like i don't i don't know i prefer the people who are easier to to be around uh, and uh, to go back to the the pineapple metaphor like i prefer people who are like pears you know they, they might bruise easily they might like they can't maybe take a lot of like harsh humor or whatever but they're super fucking sweet and they're super gentle and i'd rather just be super gentle with the people that i really love and care about and see, like, I don't, I don't like the, I don't really identify necessarily with the, the pineapple metaphor. For me, it's like the coconut metaphor, right? It's just like, there's like hard exterior and like you have to keep chipping away at it and chipping away at it to, don't say sweet meat, Ian. Don't say sweet meat. <laughs> to get to the sweet meat and the coconut milk. To get to the sweet milk in the center. Oh, oh it just gets worse no. and worse. Fuck. <laughs> fuck, dude. But anyway, like. And it's so, it's funny, <laughs> boing, right past that. It's so <laughs> funny because it's very counterintuitive to what Dr. Carbone was talking about in terms mm -hmm. of like being willing to put yourself out there and get rejected. Because I guess like, yeah, on the surface, it was kind of like a rejection, right? Y um, yeah, I would say. <laughs> not, not, yeah, but not only that, man, it's like the emotional labor you're putting into to fight someone effectively rejecting you. You're like, yeah, you're not rejecting me. I'm not rejected. That's like, like, like you know, and, and I, I make it sound like you're fucking a, a, you're like a maniac, but you're not. You're mo you're like just par partially unset, unstable or, you know, whatever. But but the truth is, man, like it's fucking inspiring for me to watch. And it's in and the truth be told in the last week um, and on the other friend dates I went on I used that kind of as like an archetype or uh, 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 used that experience as kind of like a model for how I could be and realize like this actually does not really reflect on me like I think watching you in that moment actually might have lasting or at least has had a lasting impact on how I interact with new people because I realized like I don't like you can check me like it actually like doesn't matter like i uh, like knowing that I can just be whoever I want and and especially knowing that the other person is probably fronting on some level makes yeah. it a lot easier to just be like, oh, you're just hurt. And, you know, not to, oh God, I feel bad. Like, uh, going to listen to this and we're going to be like, hi, uh, this is the portion of the podcast where we talk about you for 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> She's going to love it. She'll be like, ooh, <laughs> talk about me more. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's so funny because 
kind of like laid this out for us. Um, and, you know, you and I have discussed this, and I think a lot of people will relate to this, this idea that like you recognize that kind of behavior as a coping mechanism. And when you see that, you're like, oh, you're someone who's been through shit. And like, I'm someone who's been through shit. So it's like, I know that once like this stops, like once this like song and dance of like, I won't let you in, I won't let you in. Like once it's over, it's like, I feel like we're really going to be able to connect over something. It might sound really obvious to us at this point. And I feel like this is something I've known for a long time, but going through this camp has reinforced it so deeply. And that's the idea that vulnerability is so important to connection with everyone in every way partnerships probably parents and stuff but ultimately friendship as well and when we were talking just now when we were listening to every one of the people we've interviewed talk every single person mentioned vulnerability as key or yeah. as as critical as critical to, to building some kind of friendship and I, it's Coming out of this camp, like, I, I feel like we have the fucking tools to, like, genuinely connect with people now. And it's, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. How are you feeling about it? I love what you're talking about because it reminds me of my, the thing that I got stuck on this week, which was like, oh, like, vulnerability, when you share with people, like, it has to be either positive or negative. Like, vulnerability is always negative. It's always something that you're ashamed of. And I learned two things that really just shattered that preconception, which I fucking love. And the first one from Dr. Carbone was that like, that thought in and of itself is toxic masculinity. That idea that like being vulnerable, sharing something you're ashamed of is weak or negative. She's like, that's something that you inherited. That's, that, that, that's a, a, a positive, uh, or I'm sorry, that's a toxic masculinity idea. And I was like, well, holy shit, that makes fucking sense. Like, of course, there's nothing wrong or negative uh, about being vulnerable. Like, it's just like part of being human. And then the other thing, too, was uh, the difference between effective vulnerability and ineffective vulnerability. And I was thinking of these terms of like, um, you know, positive and negative. But it was really about whether what I'm being vulnerable about is like relevant uh, maybe it's like uh, selfish or, or unrelated to the conversation or the person in general, or like, you know, whether whether it's effective, like whether it's an effective means of building a connection with someone. So, so you and I have talked about this before, and yeah. w I still struggle to understand exactly what you mean when you say effective vulnerability. And it sounds like you're saying effective to connection. Is that what you mean? Like a. a I think I do. And I think when I say effective, I mean, it becomes reciprocal. It becomes that like thread through which you can like, you know, connect to another person in the dark. So what's an example of ineffective vulnerability? Um, you know, someone talks about maybe like losing their job or something like that. And then you talk about, uh, I, I don't know, like your parents putting down your dog while you're at school or something like that like maybe like co-opting the the instead of being like reciprocal and building a connection it's maybe more about like one-upsmanship or you you're reluctant to share something like maybe vulnerable enough and you don't uh allow the other person to make a connection with you like and this is just my idea as i've come to learn it very recently so i know that it doesn't really stand uh very well on its own but like it's kind of the shaky architecture that like i'm putting in place as i come to understand this subject it's interesting because i almost feel like what you're describing as ineffective vulnerability is not vulnerability it's like a, a mask of vulnerability or a fake 
or a faux vulnerability because like saying like, oh, you lost your job. Yeah, my, my dog just like died. I'm like really sad about it. It's like, that's not actually vulnerability then. You're right. That's <laughs> that's one-upsmanship. Like you said, that's not, you know, it's not truly vulnerable. So yeah. I wonder if, and that's why I think I'm like, I, I struggle with these these terms, the the effective and ineffective because mm. I mean, if, it, if it's true vulnerability, it's effective. Hmm. That's uh, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's all. Maybe that. Maybe it's as simple as that. I, I like that idea a lot. Sometimes I'll push back and be like, you know, I don't know, Shay. I don't know anything to push back with. Um, but I think this time I'll just say like, you know, I think you might be right. And well, I think that's a beautiful thing, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. I really love you, and I love that. Uh, we'll just have to get Brene Brown on here for our <laughs> for our uh, our follow up on this and uh, see what she has to say. Which I think is a good a time as any to bring us to the conclusion of this camp. Um, our final thoughts and our BSBQs are big, smart boy questions. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff I feel like we kind of covered, you know, like my big smart boy question was, can I build a genuine connection like knowing that I'm going into it maybe quasi insincerely? Um, and I mm. think that, I think, yeah, I think the means maybe don't justify the ends, but I mean, they're, they're, they can be a bridge to it. Um, and it was just like, sometimes, yeah, you just need kind of an excuse to, uh, put yourself out there. And it was, kind, it was a, maybe a, a little bit of a mask, maybe a little bit of a shield. And maybe if like some people need to kind of create, uh, something to like, I don't know, disconnect them from, uh, the vulnerability of needing friends, like do what you have to do so long as that you're honest when it counts. Yeah, I think so too. I think people maybe romanticize this idea of connection and um, maybe this is unfair as well, but I, I think to use a metaphor, if someone dares you to paint a fantastic painting and you do it simply because you were dared to or you you, you like started a bet and at the end of it, you legitimately created a beautiful fucking painting. I don't think it matters what the the onset was. Like you still went through all the motions to make the painting. And I think connection, maybe, maybe it's also an oversimplification, but I'm not sure it totally is. I think it's a little more simple than I think we fool ourselves into believing. I think if you're just genuinely fucking open and confident and you know, yeah. all of the good parts about being human, then then making friends is really fucking easy. Yeah. I think one of the other things I learned too is, uh, again, it came, it came from this idea of um, compatible trauma. Mm. I thought there, maybe there's something to that. I mean, uh, and maybe... I think so for sure. Yeah, I think it's, and it comes down again, we keep mentioning this idea of like kind of finding your tribe, but yeah, sometimes you, you recognize it when you see it. You know, sometimes people be, people be fronting. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Uh, yeah, something like that was, that was, I, I hate to say, to tell people rely on trauma to make friends, but I mean, that, that could be another tool in your arsenal or at your disposal. Um I do still kind of feel like making friends is a little bit like applying for a job. And, you know, like the only job I felt qualified for was, was court jester. And at first that made me feel kind of shitty. But after talking to Dr. Hemmings, like I, I I'm just like, that's fuck it, dude. Like that's who I am. And I, I think there is value in just like being the guy that can kind of, you can release tension with or, or that can lighten the mood. Um, and I think the only thing that didn't really come up was like politics. And uh, other, other than that, I, I think, you know, I really knocked my big smart boy questions out of the park. How about you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you did a great job, Ian. Um, Thanks, so, buddy. Uh, so 
my first big smart boy question when we started was uh, friendship in the time of COVID. And uh, I really quickly lost interest in that. So um, I didn't think about it much. And in fact, I don't think it's much changed except for the fact that people are feeling obviously isolated because of that. But I think the tools to fighting that remain the same. And I, I become I have become an evangelist for vulnerability at this point. I believe it is the only thing that will bring connection between people. And so for my second smart boy question, I asked, why don't I have many male friends? And I think that just the answer is so fucking simple to me now. It's just fucking toxic masculinity that I'm a victim uh, of and so many other men are. And it's just a byproduct of a patriarchy, which benefits absolutely no one. I think that people are afraid of being truly vulnerable because they've been told that somehow not being vulnerable is what it means to be masculine, which is just such a fucking lie. And it creates so much more isolation and creates so many more problems than it solves. I'm not sure if it solves any problems. So, um, yeah, that's I think that's kind of kind of where where I've been left with with I guess our whole camp. Um, and so I, I know you and I, we both have a few unanswered questions. And um, there's this one that we, we uh, honestly, we did some research into, and it's this idea of cross-sex friendships, um, which uh, just, just you know, in case you forgot from our last one, is, is the technical name, which might be somewhat now antiquated and possibly problematic, but it's the platonic friendship between unrelated men and women. Um, and I, I, we did study this actually quite a bit, um, but it just is it, hard to find. We didn't experience anything with it. We just it's, learned it, about it. it. it it'll, it's hard to throw yourself into. It's yeah. not as easy as just like, you know, ma uh, making a, a, a bro friend and, you know, hanging out like because there's a lot more. I don't know. Um, what's what's the best way to put it? Like um, risk involved for women. Mm. Well, and, what's, what's also interesting is you and I already have so many female friends. It hardly yeah. feels like an immersion. I literally could just like call up any of my friends and just be like, yo, let's just go hang out. And, you know, what does that feel like? That's it's like, OK, cool. Like I'm not it's not any different than just being me in my current life. Um, but, uh, you know, there are some incredibly interesting theories about cross sex friendships and their benefits, um, their risks, the the fundamental forces that create them and support them. And uh, I think this is definitely going to be something we, we want to revisit in, in uh, future camps. Maybe um, maybe something we can do a standalone episode on and uh, we'll just have to, to see, I guess, and see where that takes us. So yeah, I think you wrapped that up really nicely. Um, beautifully, beautiful wrapping paper, beautiful bow. Mm, it's done mm. where it's it's ready to be shipped off home to our parents uh, yeah. who are you know waiting lovingly for their care package. Mm. Um, anything you would like? Anything else you would like to say before mm. we depart? Mm, mm, mm. Yes, uh, I'd like to say, um, Ian, thanks for being such a great friend. I've, I've learned so much about friendship uh, from you, and uh, you are truly a uh, a friend of pleasure a friend of utility <laughs> and uh, a friend of virtue or moral value. And uh, I'm super glad that we have uh, this wonderful excuse of this podcast to spend time with each other. I'm sure we're losing a listener with every dripping, <laughs> oozy, vulnerable second of me talking. Someone <laughs> is hitting that little 30 second fast forward button yeah, right the, now. Is he still just, going? Nope, nope, nope. Oh, he's still going? Nope. <clears throat> They're trying to get the vomit out of their mouth. It's, uh, yeah, so, sorry for all of you listeners at home. Uh, but uh, no, I think that's uh, I think that's about it for me.
All right. Well, uh, definitely tune in for next week. We've got, as usual, we're going to be diving into a brand new camp. Uh, it's always going to be exciting. And if you want to know what it is, stick around for the end credits where uh, we always give you just a little tasty taste. <laughs> okay, well, on that note, I think it is time to end the show with our favorite new tradition where we spotlight an amazing artist that needs to be heard. So without any further ado, here is Color Collage with What a Time to Be Alive. Maybe you'll me by my side Just as I'm about to die Now it's with something cryptic in your ear Or I just might die alone And then you get to search my phone Find out all the things that I was hiding special thanks to this week's featured artist and all of our incredible guests. To hear all of the interviews in their entirety, become a monthly supporter and join our Patreon where you'll get access to those and tons of other fun goodies. Theme song written by Retrolux. Here at Camp, we love supporting music and the people who make it. If you want your music featured on Camp Re-Education, go to our website to learn more! Next week on Camp Re-Education! I'm pretty sure I'm right that if it's smaller than your fist, you're allowed to steal it. Ian, you can't put anything inside your body just because it fits, and I don't care if you're going to pay for it or not, you shouldn't be doing it. (laughs) I I like that one. That was good. (laughs) 